1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 45 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with the wonderful Alison Tate. How are you, Al?
0: Well, I'm feeling a little rusty, (laughs) to be quite honest (laughs) with you, like a barnacle. Um, Well, I don't know, I guess four weeks off and the only kind of talking I've been doing is shouting at my bickering children and (laughs) I'm not quite sure if I've got a sensible thought to have today, but anyway, here I am.
1: Well, yes, if you've just joined us, then this is our first episode for 2015. We had a break over Christmas and the new year, and it's great to be back. But I have to say, you know, I'm feeling a little bit rusty myself. Uh, the plumber came this morning, and I must oh, admit... that he, would make you rusty. Yeah, well, he came at this ungodly hour... And I, my brain clearly had not switched on. So, um, you know, I, he was finishing my sentences for me because he actually felt that he needed to. Well, also because I wasn't finishing them. I was saying things like, because um, he had to go down to the car and I said, I'll leave the door. And he went, unlocked? And I went and I nodded and I said, yeah, so when you come back, just... And he went, come in. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. He's obviously <laughs> used to it. What time? What? what okay, tell us what time was this ungodly hour? I'm not Valerie? revealing
1: the time, but it was ungodly. It was 8.30, wasn't it, it? It was ungodly. And <laughs> I had to say, yeah, because if you knock, he'll, you, you'll, and then he said, disturb the dogs. <laughs>
0: oh dear <laughs> this is going to be great i'm really looking forward to this podcast yeah, it's, it's gonna just going to rock along isn't
1: it yeah definitely <laughs> and i
0: i'm also feeling a little bit i have to admit a little bit self-conscious because i very cleverly managed to chip the back of one of my teeth last week and i've had In the
1: it world fixed you do that
0: Oh, you know, it's just one of those. apparently, like I, you know, you you go along and you have this thing happen to you and suddenly you find out that you've got to have all your wisdom teeth removed and possibly have braces and and I'm just going, are you kidding me? Look at me. Do I look like, (laughs) I'm not 15. Wow. Um, So we're waiting to see about that. But in the meantime, I feel like I'm talking like Alan Steele, which is a little (laughs) bit bit disconcerting. I'm going to try and speak without actually using any words that Um, contain S's today.
1: Okay, good luck with that.
0: Yeah, not going well so far am I? Anyway. I just
1: want to say that I haven't noticed it but now that you've pointed it out I know, everyone
0: will be (laughs) listening for it I shouldn't have said anything.
1: Anyway so um, what
0: have you got for us today Val? Let's kick this off.
1: Well I want to say thank you to all the people who have written to us and we know that a lot of you have downloaded uh, the podcast over the break because you know podcasts are good things to listen to while you're at the beach I guess Mm. and um, thank Thank you to Dan Brixie, who wrote to us. And he said, Hi, I'm only a recent devotee to Alison and Valerie's podcast, so you want to be a writer. And of course, I feel I am in that category. After listening to your interview with Bernadette Schwert about getting into copywriting, I thought, what a good idea. Uh, I'm doing a BA at the moment, majoring in writing and working in commercial radio. And he's working in a creative de- the creative a creative department, and he was saying that he went straight to the creative director and asked how he could show me how it's all done and basically you know he wrote a little bit more as well but you know I want to say congratulations Dan I think this is a great proactive step in the right direction I love that I love the fact
0: that he's had a little bit of a listen to us and thought you know what I'd like to have a crack at that and gone and done something about it So go, Dan.
1: Yes, absolutely. Go, Dan. We want more Dans. Yes. Absolutely. You know, this podcast is full of information, but nothing gets us more excited than hearing when you actually listen to it and take action. So um, anyone who's interested in copywriting, of course, uh, Dan was referring to Bernadette Schwartz, who is one of our presenters at the Australian Writers' Centre, and she is kicking off our Copywriting Essentials course uh, in February, and people are going nuts about it at the moment, we are getting multiple phone calls every day and emails every day saying, when's this going to start? I really can't wait to enrol. Um, for, for those people who are interested, it's go to copywritingessentialscourse.com. That's copywritingessentialscourse.com. And, you know, for, if you're not sure what copywriting is, it's basically... Best described as writing words that sell. So that might be newsletters, that might be um, uh, uh, ad, um, ads, you know, ad, advertisements in, the, in in magazines or uh, scripts for radio or anything that is kind of to promote something else. So it's very different from what we often talk about in creative writing and magazine writing and all other genres of writing. But it's 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 one of the most highly paid parts of writing, isn't it, Al? Yes.
0: It is and it's um, it's also incredibly good fun. I've done a lot of copywriting over the years for various things and I absolutely love the creative aspect of coming up with a campaign and, you know, working with a, um, you know, I've written for radio and that's obviously quite different, but then also um, writing, working on uh, advertising campaigns and you sit with a, a creative director or a, um, an artist and you workshopping ideas and things like that and coming up, trying to... Um, put across an entire campaign in five or six words is incredibly challenging and it's great fun. It really is. I love it.
1: Well, something else that's good fun is, mm. um, and I have a link for you, it's something a little bit different and that has only been made possible really in this, you know, device-obsessed age that we live in <laughs> mm. and um, it's called a modern storytelling platform. So this group has announced, they've said, today we announced the release of a modern storytelling ta- storytelling platform for the mobile generation. Now it was only about a matter of time before this was going to happen right? Mm. So it's time for storytelling to tap into the present way we live our lives largely on and through mobile devices so and they're talking through things like uh, sms and facebook and whatsapp and snapchat and you know vine and all that kind of stuff so basically their first focus will be on sms storytelling and this platform allows writers and producers to craft stories that incorporate the same mixed media that anyone can send through text messages so you know it's not just text it's also um, images it's videos because you can send videos via text short videos it's um, emoticons uh, it's you know some audio recordings so it's it's interesting and we'll put the link in the show notes but basically it's um if you've got a story to tell on that platform there's a link and you can submit Uh, stories before February 12th in order to be the first batch of stories featured on this particular app. So it it makes you start thinking about storytelling in a very different way, much more creative way, I suppose. Well, there's so many different elements you can incorporate. It's kind of multimedia. And I'm wondering whether this is going to catch on.
0: Hmm. Um, Well, you know, (laughs) I... don't know. <laughs> I can honestly say, well, to me, um, yeah, no, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think it's another way that they're going to harness people's words to make money for themselves, so it's not for me. Um, I, I feel like it's something that, um, you know, it's a bit of fun, but I, I don't really, I don't know, like what, what's, what's in it for the writers? That's what I guess my question would be. Yes. What's in it for the writers?
1: Well, you, there's a link there and you can go through and have a look at, you know, the different, um, uh, how you need to submit it and what you get out of it and the kind of mixed media it supports and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, many people will say it's exposure. Oh, yes, <laughs>
0: but, exposure.
1: <laughs> but they do have their own, you know, they have an agreement which um, uh, obviously contributors will 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 either need to agree to or not.
0: Um, look, I think it's... It's one of those things like Wattpad and things like that have worked work extremely well for people. And there are a lot of people out there that love just uploading their stories and getting their stuff out there. And for those people, this will be brilliant. Um, but for someone like me who, you know, already has is surrounded by a billion words all the time, yeah. it's probably not something that I would do.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether it captures people or not because I know I've downloaded quite a number of apps that are sort of storytelling apps and I've paid my $6 or whatever and – it's, they're just kind of too clever for their own good in a sense because I find myself losing interest um, halfway through the story because I don't want to have to turn my phone upside down to, to read the next section. I don't want to have to swipe all these things to read um, three words when I could have read three words in one line. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your swiping finger gets gets tired. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Well, I'm hoping you'll sign up for all of us and report back. I will. Okay.
1: So the other interesting uh, link that I came across this week, it's called the productivity hacks I used to write a 93,000-word book in six weeks. Now. That's pretty fast. That's pretty fast.
0: Yeah, that's pretty fast. Like I wrote, I've written each of the first drafts of each of my Mapmaker Chronicles in about six weeks, about five to six weeks, but they're 55,000 words. And I thought that was okay. Mm. You know what I mean? But, yeah, 93,000 is a lot of words. It's
1: a lot of words. And so when I read that title it's, uh, of this post, which is by Nicholas Carlson, and it's about the book that he wrote, I thought I have to read this because, seriously, 93,000 words in six weeks, that's not only insane, it sort of makes you wonder about the quality of the book. Mm. However, I actually read the book over the Christmas Mm. break. Okay. And... What's the book called? It is called Marissa Mayer and the Fight to Save Yahoo. Okay. (laughs) Now, Marissa Mayer is the CEO of Yahoo. She famously rose to prominence when she was a senior executive at Google and then she subsequently went to Yahoo. Now, I'm not that partic- particularly interested in Marissa Mayer, nor am I that particularly interested in Yahoo. But for some reason, this I decided to pick up this book and started, you know, just reading the first few pages. And one of the best books I've read this year. Could not put it down. Page-turner. Compelling. And I'm shocked to find out that it was written in six weeks because the level of investigation and detail. So obviously the thing is this guy, Nicholas Carlson, obviously had done all of the research and investigation before the six weeks. Yeah.
0: So the last paragraph of this story, because he goes through all the things he did, and there's two things to say here. He did nothing else as far as work went. So he, he did nothing else for six weeks, which is, you know, Okay, Um, and then he talks about the fact that he went to bed and got up at the same time, he had long lazy mornings, he worked in hour-long concentrated bursts, he used coffee, he (laughs) chewed gum, you know, yada, yada, yada. He worked out at least three times. Okay, then we get to the last paragraph and this is the crux as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. It's too complicated to get into here but the other reason I was able to write so fast was that I had a 30,000-plus word outline. Mm which is a lot of word outline, like that's, you know, he, he's he's writing into the outline. He's only actually really writing 60,000 words. Um, I built it directly from my reporting news, which was transcripts and documents that he's already, you know, he's done all the interviews, he's done all the stuff. Um, so I would argue, okay, so the actual writing Took six weeks, but that's not for the whole book. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's true. But I, I, f- I feel that's a bit misleading.
1: Ha, but two things to respond to that, and okay. that is also it's nonfiction. Yes, but number one, the it, it's beautiful writing. Okay. It's it's actually you know it's the kind of stuff you would actually need to craft. It's not just nonfiction where you're slapping together a Bashed bunch of out facts. feature articles. It yeah. is compelling. It is okay. like reading it's like you're reading a movie script or you're reading a, you know, a a wonderful novel. It's actually very, very good writing. So, you know, 10 points to Nicholas for doing that in six weeks as well. As making sense of all of these um, complicated, you know, facts. But also one of the things, if you remember when we interviewed Sally Collings, uh, who works sort of as a... Um, uh, an editor and and has previously been a publisher in Australia but now lives in um, California. One of the things that she says that she noticed was this massive difference when it came to outlines and book proposals being sent to editors. You know, in Australia, if you're writing a non-fiction book proposal, it might be five to ten pages. Mm. In America, it could be 20,000 words and that's really normal. Yeah, yeah. It's, It's practically you know a, a huge chunk of the book already yes. because there's so much that needs to go into it so yes. i'm assuming that he was referring to that um when he's talking about the 30,000 words but anyway it's it, yeah um uh, we'll put the link in the show notes very interesting just he had a very very structured day for yeah, yeah. six weeks
0: yeah and um and it's still a, it's a massive achievement particularly if mm. you say that it's a um you know, it's a beautifully written book. Like to, to do that, 93,000 words in six weeks is a lot. But I, I would also just hasten to, like you've got to look at the fine print with these sorts of things yes. as well because otherwise people are sitting there thinking, oh, my God, there's no way I could do that. <laughs> I mean? um, yes. So, yeah, so it's always worth reading between the lines a little bit.
1: Definitely, definitely. So what have you got for us, Al?
0: Um, oh great! Oh, this is so fun. So yes. I came across this fantastic, and I'm just trying to find my link now. Here it is, a fantastic link uh, to an infographic. Yeah, you know how much we love one of those <laughs> um, on a blog called Blink's Blink Box Books, which is really bad when you've got my speech. In <laughs> Blink Box Books, yes, um, and it's called "What Age Did the Greatest Authors Publish Their Most Famous Works?" and mm. It's got a timeline and it shows you everyone from like Jack Kerouac through to J.K. Rowling through to L.M. Montgomery, of course the Anne of Green Gables series, um, John Steinbeck, like lots and lots of names, Jane Austen, you know, blah, blah, blah. We go all the way through. And what it shows you is how many books they published each year, what their breakthrough book was and at what age it came and when they died, right? So Jack Kerouac had done um three books before he came out with on the road when he was 26 years old for example and it just shows you um like the years that they published no books and how old they were some people wrote lots and lots of books before they actually managed to you know have their breakthrough um numbers whereas others like J.K. Rowling, just came out with her first book at 33 and that was her, you know, and then there's, you know, she's got a book pretty much a year after that for a while and then a nice gap and then she's back with the Galbraith novels and things like that. But, it, look, it's fantastic because, you you know, you find out that Salman Rushdie was 35 when he had his breakthrough mm. book um, and then we're moving along and we've got Joseph Heller was 39 with his breakthrough book, which was uh, Catch-22 and that was his first novel, a uh, debut novel, and... Um, We have Geoffrey Archer, who was 40 with his, which was Cain and Abel, and he'd already had some books of short stories and various things done before then, you know, all the way down to... So Nora Roberts, okay, who is one of the most prolific authors in the known universe, she'd be writing 93,000 words in six weeks without any dramas. Um, She had her first book published at 32, and then she's written, like, some of the books, like, 1984 she wrote 10 books, um 1985 she wrote 10 books um she was writing at that stage category romance but her breakthrough novel came at 42 and she wrote nine books that year as well and she continues like even now in 19 in 2014 she was 65 and she wrote she put out five books in 2000 she's prolific she's unbelievably prolific um i know like it's really interesting so it's definitely worth having a little look at this list and you know not losing heart because blossoming pilcher uh who wrote her breakthrough book was the shell seekers which many people will have you know their mums will have had that on their shelf Mm. um she was 65 when she published that book and she had written i think about 20 books before that before she had the one that really broke through for her so look have a look take heart it's fantastic
1: (laughs) yeah one of the great things about this infographic is that no matter which decade you fall in whether you're in your 20s your 30s 40s 50s 60s whatever there's a whole stack of authors who didn't have their breakthrough till that decade that's right so it is very heartening it's very inspirational very
0: heartening so I think it's definitely worth a read um you know if you're if you're you know writing stuff and you're wondering if it's ever going to be published well check it out. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Something quite different is, um, you know, sometimes we want to make a community aware of different uh, competitions and uh, stuff like that that you can enter. And here's something that I came across, which I must admit, I had not come across before. And it's called the Teal Grant for Online Writing. Teal being spelt T-H-I-E. E. L. and that's uh, named after Philip Teal, who is a newly graduated high school English teacher and year oh. level coordinator in Melbourne. But what he's done is um, he's supporting inventive writing for the internet, and it's a five thousand dollar award, and that's which is pretty. You know, committed of Philip Teal, and uh, you need to produce fifty posts on an agreed concept over a twelve month period and you have to be an Australian writer uh, and um, you need to apply to it as well and it's an inaugural grant that Peter Thiel has put out and it's you know being judged by uh, himself and a couple of other you know esteemed judges so um, it's interesting that somebody off their own bat has decided to fund this project you know
0: very interesting
1: yeah
0: 50 posts on an agreed concept is a lot like it's the it's it's the equivalent of you know julie and julia and you know it's it's a it's the happiness project It's probably it's almost you know coming up with a book concept that you can then string out over 50 posts and pull together isn't it like really
1: yeah and from the outside he said copyright remains with the writer and Mm. work will not be reproduced without their consent and interesting the grant will be paid in two stages upon agreement and uh you know like at the halfway mark or something so we'll put that link in the show notes but you know good on you philip
0: Yes, thank yes. you, Philip. That's a great initiative.
1: Absolutely. Um, speaking
0: of initiatives, yes. let's talk about this last post that I found and I think it's one that's definitely worth um, those of our listeners who are interested in freelance writing having a look at. Yes. Because I think that there's, I, I noticed a great flurry of activity in our graduate Facebook groups and uh, various places at the start of the year of, you know, what were we going to do this year? And we, people were, I'm going to write, you know, 100 articles and I'm going to pitch Twenty articles a week, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And it's quite interesting because this article is called "Think Small" in 2015 for freelance writing success. Hmm,
2: Again, think I'd say sim-
0: think small. Um, so basically, it's a base. It, it starts by saying that you know a study by the University of Scranton found that only eight percent of people will follow through, through on their news resolutions, which you know we know for a fact. Yes. Probably most people have fallen off the wagon already. Yes. but. Um, the thing is that, though, if you make grand, sweeping decisions, the minute that you falter on one small part of them, you, you give up. You know, it's all mm. over. So the suggestion here is seven bite-sized resolutions to get you started. If you make small changes, they can have a big impact, and that's the theory. So she goes through um, the person who's put this post together who is a self-proclaimed word nerd called Alison Van Nest, and it's on the About Freelance Writing website. Um, and she talks She talks about sort of different ideas that have been put through from different writers. Um, so Eric Nelson of How to Think Like Your Agent wants you to give Twitter a chance. Join Twitter and tweet at least three times a day. Now, people who are freelancers probably think, why do I need to do that? Well, the fact of the matter is that Twitter can be a fantastic place for freelancers to network with each other. Yeah. With um, to have a look at what editors are actually talking about on their on their accounts to see what kinds of articles their publications of choice are actually because um, you know they tweet them all the time yes. and you get to see what's around, um, and to basically you know to, to not so much to pitch I mean don't pitch ideas to editors via Twitter but use it to collate information and to think about things and also what I find Twitter really useful for is. You, you can see what the issues of the day are straight away on Twitter. You can see what people are talking about yes. and you can use that kind of stuff to jump off ideas for articles for yourself. And the other thing to think about is that more and more, if you want to write for online publications, they are looking for social media followings. So it's definitely worth, you know, building yourself a bit of a profile. So that's one idea. Um, the other... Um, so there's other things in there. It's just about, you know, keep making, you know looking after your own business. So, you know, keeping an eye, doing your accounting regularly, mm. paying your taxes as you go as opposed to these horrible bills that you get at the end of the year, that kind of stuff. Um, they suggest uh, setting aside an hour each morning to write just to get, you know, the ideas flowing. Write, write anything. It doesn't have to be working on an article that you're doing but just write things. Get yourself into the flow. Blogs are great for that. I have to say I really, I I honestly, I know that they're time-consuming but they are fantastic for just getting that writing work flowing all the time.
1: Do you do that? Do you write in the morning or write every day just not necessarily an article but just whatever?
0: I write something every day. Mm. I do. I'm always working on something every day and it's not necessarily an article that's due that day but I I like I used to blog every single day mm. and I don't do that as much anymore because I'm working on more books these days and I, I do need more time. So the thousand words that I used to put in a blog every day I now put into maybe a, a, a new idea for a novel or working on a on, on a Mapmaker Chronicles book or something along those lines. But, yeah, I do write something every day. And I think it's a good habit to get into because I, and blogging helps you with that habit. Yes. Yeah is one thing but anyway there's seven ideas here they're all small things they could all make a difference to your freelance writing and I think it's worth having a look at them just to give it you know just to as I said small steps are so much easier than big ones
1: yeah maybe tweet us if you're listening and what you've decided is your micro resolution for the year or macro completely up to you you yeah and
0: you know what connect with us on twitter because Mm. we are often tweeting links we are often tweeting things we we tweet to people that you might be interested in talking to so Mm. I'm Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, Valerie is Valerie Koo. Find us on Twitter and, you know, talk to us. We love people talking to
2: us.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. We do. So let's move on to a book about writing. So over the break I had a read of, and I'm still about three quarters of the way through, um, The the Art and Craft Feature Writing by William E. Blundell. Now this is an oldie actually. Oh, I think this is – Because he was formerly from the Wall Street Journal. Right, and this was 1986, so this was wow. a long time ago. However, it's um, you know, the the principles of feature writing don't necessarily change. Uh, obviously, there's slight variations because of the world of online, which didn't really exist in so much in 1986. Um, yeah. But absolutely, the principles of finding an angle and of description and of um, you know, uh, making sure you have the right characters in your story don't don't change at all and I was intrigued with this book because at first I thought oh it's old is it gonna you know, you know is it gonna be that relevant um but it def- it's definitely definitely relevant it's a classic and I've noticed since because I, I over the break I also read other books on writing and many of them ended up summarizing uh the points that were in the William Blundell book so ah, interesting it's a, it's a good you've one you've gone to the what made you pick that up um I wonder where I bought it from I must have been a recommendation from somebody or um I decided I wanted to read an old thing actually (laughs) I just wanted to I want to read an old thing because I bought it online and and I wondered whether it was going to have useful information or if the examples of the stories were going to be out of date but They're not. You can look at a great feature that's 10 years old and still analyse and see that it's a great feature. You can look at the incredible stories even, you know, by Gay Talese and uh, Truman Capote and Mm. um, Joan Didion and you can appreciate them today. They're timeless. Mm. Um, Not that this book is about necessarily that type of writing because that's more new journalism but um, it's a good book.
0: Okay. Cool. Anyway, great. Yes. We love a recommendation. Yes. Of an old book. That's great. <laughs>
1: um,
0: well, I've got something that's new for you. Okay. Uh, just on. to you know, change the complete tack. Um, so, write to donecom is a fantastic resource for writers, and is a place where I often find a lot of great uh, links for our uh, writer center social media accounts. Um and they have recently announced their top 10 blogs for writers for 2015. Yeah. Mm. I was devastated that I was not on there, of course, but you know <laughs> whatever. Um whatever. Overlooked again. Um so there are 10 fantastic blogs to have a look at on this particular link. There are uh, Positive Writer. There's a great one by Tara Lazar on writing for kids. Um okay. Katie Willand does a blog, KM Willand, on helping writers become authors. The Right Practice is a great uh, resource. I often use that one. Uh, Terrible Minds, of course, which is uh, the novelist Chuck Wendig, which is the most mm. interesting author blog on the internet, as far as I'm concerned, um, comes with a language warning, but it's a, it's just fantastic he's an absolute rock star in the author blog world um there's the right life uh there's a new one there jennifer blanchard i hadn't seen her before and so it's great to see some new blogs turning up on this you know because they do this every year and the winners are always worth having a look at so i'm putting the list the list for that uh the list the link In the show notes, um, and I recommend that everyone have a quick look at those blogs because there's so much. This is the thing. There is so much information out there, and it's just a matter of tapping into credible sources of it.
1: Fantastic. I know I'm going to
0: be busy reading blogs. You are going to be very busy, very, very busy. Um, And I am going to be very busy too because I have just received my copy of Lisa Hydekey's new book. It started yes. with a kiss and I have had great, the great pleasure of interviewing Lisa regarding her book and she, of course, is a, a presenter for the Australian Writers' Centre on um, commercial women's fiction and this is her f- fifth novel, I think, and um, it's a fantastic holiday read as all of hers are. They come out in January because they are absolutely perfect for the beach um, and this is what Lisa had to say about her book. Once upon a time, Lisa Heidke made a New Year's resolution to write a novel. The next day, she woke up with a headache and started writing. Fittingly, her fifth novel, It Started With A Kiss, was released on January 1 this year. No headaches. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. How are you still there? <laughs> Have you got a headache today? Yeah. All right. No. Not at all. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about that New Year's resolution. Like, Why did you think to yourself, I'm going to write a novel? And 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 what why that particular day?
2: Oh, just because I'd been carrying on about it for so long. And I think that at the time I had three children under the age of five, I'd just given up my job at um, ACP magazines to look after the three kids and I just thought, you know, it was now or never. And okay. plus I'd bleated about it for so long.
0: So you'd been working um, as, a, as a journalist at ACP magazines?
2: Yes. In In what area? I worked uh, for Practical Parenting oh. and also Bride to Be, so okay. it would be like uh, writing about mastitis in the morning and you know sexy lingerie in the afternoon.
0: Well, that just would have been setting you up perfectly for your for your future as a as a novelist. But how did you go from that sort of headache of, of January one? What year was mm-hmm. that? Uh, that was two. Uh,
2: so New Year's Eve, two thousand and one. Okay, so
0: you woke up January one, two thousand and two, or January no, no, one, no, two thousand and one. Okay. Um, how did you go from that headache on on January one to being a published author? Like, how long did that take, and what was the process?
2: Okay, uh, the process was long and difficult, and needed a lot of determination and, and um, faith in myself. My, I started writing fiction in 2001 and got the contract with Alan and Unwin for my first book in August 2007. Okay, and that
0: first contract was actually not for your first, the first book you ever wrote, was it? It wasn't for the first novel that you had ever actually completed.
2: No, it wasn't. That novel is languishing in a cupboard. And actually, our, every um, January 1st, I try to take it out of the cupboard and reread it but I I still can't get past the first five pages.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. So you Mm. haven't rewritten it and then sent it out and it's not out there in the world?
2: No, no. And it's about uh, about 60,000 words. And I just um, keep thinking to myself, I'm sure there's a few paragraphs in there I can use. Surely there's 500 words of that 60,000 that is usable.
0: Okay. So how many did you actually write before you got that first contract?
2: I, excluding the first manuscript, uh, because that was a um, uh, written in third person, and, and anyway, uh, what I decided I needed to do was write like I speak, which okay. was very conversational and first person. So by the time I got the contract with Alan and Unwin, I had three manuscripts that were about eighty percent done. Wow.
0: Okay. So, so, when, how did you get to that point? Like, had you been doing competitions had you Had you just been sitting at home by yourself, staring at your computer? How did you go? How did you get to the point of having three that were ready to go,
2: basically? For the, for the first couple of years, it was just me staring out the window and staring at the computer, and um, you know, just the cat and myself writing when the kids were sleeping. And I, what happened was. I would get to a point where I'd finish the first draft, say, of um, Claudia's Big Break, and send it out to a publisher. While I was waiting the three months for it to come back, for it to be rejected and come back to me, I started on another one, which turned out to be what Kate did next, and then I started working on a third one, Lucy Springer Gets Even. So I was juggling three because I would have nothing to do in between the time when I sent out one manuscript... Waiting to get to be rejected, so I would start a new one.
0: Okay, so they essentially the first three books came out in the reverse order of how you wrote them. Is that right? Yes, okay. absolutely. And I'm really interested in this thing because you know how how I feel about this. I'm very interested in this fact that you would send them off and then you would rather than sort of sit around climbing the walls and opening your email fifty thousand times and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. You started on the next book. Now I call that productive waiting and I'm actually considering writing an entire ebook on the subject. Wow, I th- okay. Well, no, not really. I just think it's so important. I think that so often um, authors get so hung up on one manuscript and, and they waste so much time waiting mm. and waiting mm. and waiting for something to happen, whereas you've got on with it so that at the time that your break did happen, you
2: had three novels ready to go. So uh, how important is that, do you think? Oh, it's essential. and. As uh, Stephen King says, once you finish that that um, that novel, that manuscript, and you send it off, forget about it. Just you have to just close your mind to it and start on the next project the next day. Now I didn't do that. I, I probably you know fussed around for a little bit, but it was certainly that attitude of okay, onward and upward. What's the next project? Okay.
0: So is that how you've managed? Because you've been pretty much doing a book a year ever since that first contract. So is that how you've managed it? You had three ready to go to start with?
2: Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely how I managed it. Uh, have
0: you have you had to, because um, you've now got five, so in the last couple of years, have you been writing a book a year still? Is that how it's been working for you?
2: Oh, uh, look, in an ideal world, I'd like to say yes. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, as the, it's actually become more difficult to write. A, um, because my kids are older and actually require more attention to oh. be driven around and, Don't uh, fussed over. <laughs> and B, because being a published author, I have more commitments to do the marketing and promotion and library talks and, and just getting myself out there. So there's less time actually to stare out the window and stare at the computer.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. How do you manage that? Because I'm actually sitting here today, looking at my email inbox and mm-hmm. thinking about the stuff that I should, that I would like to be doing, which is um, proofreading, you know, book two of my of my series, yeah. or you know, finishing the edits on book three, or something practically useful like that. But right. in actual fact, I've got eight billion emails to respond to. And yeah. how do you juggle that? How do you juggle that sort of um, that balance between actually getting the writing done and doing that promotion stuff that you need to do
2: oh look i think it's just well writing to-do lists is very important to Mm. me so i will so some nights i'll go to bed feeling absolutely overwhelmed and wake up at three in the morning and just go okay stop write a list, what absolutely needs to be completed today. Uh, and, then and then I'll do those, answering those emails or, you know, writing that guest blog or answering um, questions from, you know, from a newspaper or, or whatever it is that absolutely is essential to getting to promoting the current, my current release. Mm-hmm. And then it's very much about sitting down and working on, on my next project now, some days, Al, if I don't feel up to creative writing as such, and I will do research on the internet. Okay. So, for example, um, in my latest book, Friday is, Friday is the character's name, and she's a naturopath. Now, I'm not a naturopath, uh, and so what I did... was on those days when I didn't really feel it was the writing wasn't flowing I'd research naturopaths on the on the internet and just have an you know just just become more familiar with my character and in doing things like that it inspired me again
0: okay so it started with the kisses out there so you're obviously Mm -hmm. going to be you know pretty busy in the next little while are you actually working on another project as we speak have you got another book in the works yes I am fantastic
2: okay Sorry, All right. good luck with that. really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> well, actually, as you know, I'm a cancer, so I'm about, I'm about 73,000 words into it, and I, I have no idea, I have a little bit of an idea how it's going to end, but I must say I am procrastinating on that because I know once I finish the first draft at 80,000 words, then I can really get stuck into it, rewriting it, and developing those characters more
0: okay so you still um, cuz you know obviously you and i have known each other for quite a long time but and mm-hmm. you've always been a pantser do you, yes. so you, even though you're sort of now you've written five novels you're obviously on to number 6 here do you do things any differently to how you did when you started
2: oh uh, look i think i've got i think my writing is faster because I, I know what i'm doing so i'm not uh overwriting as much i'm not i'm i'm showing a lot more i'm not telling so my first drafts I think are a lot cleaner than they were back in say 2004 2005. So your editing be. So your editing
0: process is is easier now than yes. it used to be?
2: Yes. Okay. I really do think so.
0: Okay. So you've always you're very much an advocate for persistence with yes. with writers and and the you know that you need the passion to keep going mm. and stuff mm. like that. But how do you keep going on the days when it's not going well? I mean, you know, you're saying at the moment you're procrastinating because you've kind of, you know, you've got a vague idea how it's going to end or whatever. But, I mean, how are you going to push through that procrastination and actually get the manuscript finished?
2: Oh, that's, a, that's an excellent question.
1: Um...
2: <laughs> you to <gonna, you're laughs> do podcasts if I, with if, me. If I, if I knew the answer to that, I would have done No. Look, I, I, okay, I have developed techniques. For example, I will finish my writing in the middle of a scene. So that the next day when I come back to writing, I'll go, okay, I know that um, that scene, I've finished that in the middle of a a scene, finished in the middle of a sentence or, or what have you, and then I will just um, carry on from there. Okay, so
0: you've got, you know where you're up to and you just got to keep going as opposed to where am I starting now?
2: Absolutely. Yep. So I try to finish in the middle of an idea. Okay. And also if... Again, like if I'm not familiar with the character or I'm stalling on a character, what I'll do is write, pretend I'm that character writing to a girlfriend that I haven't seen for 10 years. Okay. So filling her in on all the information that's been going on in, in my character's life, you know, in the last 10 years. Yep. And sometimes that will trigger, that'll trigger a new scene. Okay. So you're kind direction. of tapping into your subconscious really,
0: like trying to, yes. find, the, trying to find the things that link together.
2: Yes, absolutely. Okay.
0: All right, so you write and teach contemporary women's fiction at the Australian Writers' Centre. Yes, I do. Can you tell us, explain to us what contemporary women's fiction is?
2: Oh, look, I really think that, um, okay, contemporary women's fiction, I would say, is a story that centres on um, a woman or on primarily women's issues. Right. Okay, it's not... Necessarily, the romantic relationship—that uh, that is included—but it's the whole woman. So it's the woman's relationship with her, say, her ageing parents or her children, her colleagues, her best friends. It's the whole woman's story, not just um, a romantic story between a man and a woman or a woman and a woman. That sort of thing. Okay. It's fiction. It's just—it's just story. You know, it's—it's it's just um, modern day stories about about modern day life.
0: And what makes it different to, you know, Chiclet? Because, you know, everybody talks about the fact that Chiclet is, is not a thing anymore. Um, what makes it different?
2: Uh, I think that women's fiction is a broader title. Yeah. And Chiclet falls under that title of women's fiction. For example, even though she would hate to be called it, um, Jodie Picoult, women's fiction. I mean, basically because it's 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 about women written by a woman. Okay. Um, now of course we don't have men's fiction but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, we could debate uh, that for days, couldn't we? Yes, we absolutely could. <laughs> uh, for some reason, w- you know, women get pigeonholed um, and I think it's purely a marketing marketing device firstly by the publishers and then by booksellers. Okay.
0: Well, what do you think are the most important factors in creating a successful contemporary women's fiction novel? What what are the what are the factors that make it
2: Oh, I think that you need to have um, three-dimensional characters. So no one character is all bad or all good. Um, Your characters, like real people, have flaws. Right. Okay. So, and obviously you want the reader to empathize with your um, protagonist because if they don't empathize in those first couple of pages, they're going to put the book down. Right. So if your readers open a book and the character you're writing about is perfect in every way, you know, beautiful, successful, has a fantastic career and a fabulous love life, your readers are going to put the book down because they're going to go, "Oh God, that's boring." Um, because the, what drives the story is conflict. So um, you know, the, the 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 protagonist has got to have a conflict or a crisis straight up. Something that the reader can recognise and relate to and then go, Oh wow, I wonder how she's going to work through this. Right. I wonder okay. what's going to happen. Okay. So what about voice? Voice, really important. Uh for example, I believe when you pick up a Marion Keyes or a Jody Pickle, you know you know immediately what you're getting into because they have a brand. Mm. So they have a they have a tone, they have a style. And they have voice. Mm. And I would say for new writers, the most important thing to do is developing your own voice. Okay, so we've already had Stephen King. We've already had Jane Austen, Marion Keys. So it's not about copying them or recreating, you know, Emily Bronte. It's about finding, you know, your new, a new voice, a new and um, exciting voice that will be your own.
0: And do you have any thoughts on how people can tap into that? Because I know that a lot of people, um, it is actually
2: quite difficult to to write as self. Absolutely, I, and I understand that. Uh, so a lot of it comes down to, well, firstly, practice. Practice, 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 because you might think you're not good at writing dialogue or not good at writing sex scenes, but until you actually do that, how do you know? So it's very much practice and finding out what you like. You might think, no, 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 I don't want to write in first person because it's too scary. But until you practice with all your points of view, how do you know? Right. So I definitely think there's practice and there's, there has to be, at a certain point, a trust that, okay, this is this is the way I write and I've just got to let my writing flow and see where it leads. Okay. Um, and, and that, of course, then it becomes determination, persistence and just... Bums on seats basically. Getting on with it. Yes.
0: What surprised you most about being a published author?
2: Well, maybe that I wasn't rich and famous. <laughs> Overnight?
0: <laughs> Overnight? What do you mean? Are you telling me that's not <laughs> but true? I,
2: but I didn't jump the queue at Target, that people didn't recognise me in, in Mayan. and that I couldn't just go, hi, my name's Lisa Heidke.
0: Um, <laughs> Did that really no, surprise you? Did you really no, expect No, of that? course it
2: didn't. <laughs> um, what surprised me? Um, I'll tell you truthfully what surprised me was, A, the excitement when I walked into a bookshop and saw my book on shelf. That was exciting. Yeah. And, and yes, I, I guess that didn't surprise me. What surprised me was the absolute anticlimax the next day or the next week when I walked back into that same bookshop and the books were still there. Now, yes, they could have sold out and been replenished, as family and friends would tell me. But there was that certain anticlimax of, oh, the books are still there, no one's <laughs> buying them, I'm a failure. So all that self-doubt that you've been trying to push down during your writing process absolutely comes back when you're published because okay. then you're subjected to reviews and um, and online reviews and, and, and you know, those, those critics can be very harsh.
0: So it never really goes away, the, the self-doubt, like even getting yourself over the line no, is not enough?
2: Uh, look, for me it doesn't, probably, I don't think, Stephen King worries about that kind of thing, um, but I would say most authors have incredible self-doubt once once their book's released. Okay, so what are your thoughts on the author
0: platform? Let's talk about that because you know it's a it's a big um, a big part I think of what publishers expect from authors they these days. Yes. Yeah? So yes, they absolutely do. Yeah. So what do what do what are your thoughts on that? Where do you focus your efforts when it comes oh, look, to
2: that? I I have a website. And uh, which has just been um, completely updated for the release of um, It Started With Kiss. I have a sporadic blog, and how I've come to terms with that, because I know I have to keep blogging, is that I'll invite guest authors on or guest editors to to be a part of that. And then I'll promote that blog and my website through Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. I
0: so you I you're, you're getting help with you like in the sense that like cuz blogs are hungry and trying to maintain yes. you know the constant content as well as doing all the other yes. things that you do. So yes. you're you're taking more of a team approach and getting some help.
2: Yes, I am. Yeah, which is great. Yes. I think and, it's great. And uh, and most authors, well all authors I know are, are reciprocal. They will say, "Oh, fantastic. You've got a new book coming out. Why don't you come on my blog?" Yeah. So I so I find that works and uh, Twitter, I'm getting more into now, uh, but I but I like Facebook because I can come back and forth, and it's more a, a time thing with me. Yeah, yeah. You get a you get
0: a, a conversation that lasts longer on Facebook, yes. I think.
2: Yeah. And you, as you say, you can dip in
0: and out of it, which makes it um, absolutely can be, can make that easier to maintain. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, then let's finish up with your top three tips for writers, because that's how we
2: like to finish up. Oh, gosh. Um, Come on, pull them out. <laughs> commitment, okay? The, desire, the burning desire to write, okay? And regardless of whether you'll get um, published in print form or not. Discipline, having the discipline to sit down and go, okay, I'm turning off all those things like Facebook and Twitter and I'm going to focus on my writing for the next two hours or whatever time you have. And also, Alison, being yourself. Writing because you love to, to write. And also, I think, writing the kind of um, novels or short stories that you want to read. Okay. So, yeah. so write be yourself, what you like to read. Write what you like to read. Be yourself. Have the discipline. And then have the commitment to see the project through to the end.
0: Okay. Well, those are all extremely good tips and you've given me four for the price of three, which is a massive bonus.
2: So thank you so much (laughs) for your time today, Lisa.
0: Good luck with your fifth novel. It started with a kiss, which is available in all good bookstores as we speak and is a fantastic holiday read for those who are looking for a bit of January fun. And um, you can visit Lisa at LisaHeidke.com. And where will we find you on Facebook? Lisa Heidke-author. Fantastic. All right, yeah. I'll put all those links in the show notes and um, thanks again, Lisa. Okay, thanks, Al. Nice talking
2: to you.
1: Isn't Lisa awesome?
0: Oh, She's so warm and funny and her books are just like that. Yeah, absolutely. funny. And I think they're great. So, And I believe we have uh, a book to give away. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. We have a copy of Lisa's book to give away. And uh, the easiest way for you to do that, all the details are in the Australian Writers' Centre newsletter. So just um, sign up if you're not already uh, on the list. And you just need to go to writerscentre.com.au slash news. So writerscentre.com.au slash news, sign up to the newsletter and you will get information about this giveaway, this competition, but also any other giveaway that uh, that we have in the future. So fantastic.
0: Yes. I love the newsletter.
1: Yes. Now my app pick for the week is a little something a little bit different. It is not actually about writing but I think it's very useful to writers because, as you know, writing is a very sedentary process and sometimes I sit on my ass all day and...
0: <laughs> Are we going to get a bleep from,
1: <laughs> from iTunes because you said ass? No.
0: Okay. All right. Um,
1: and I'm typing, typing, typing and... I, you know, it's just got to get a bit more movement happening. Now, while I may go for a walk um, every so often, often I'm just sort of like that means getting dressed and putting your shoes on and all of those sorts of difficult things. However... I have found a seven-minute workout app. Yeah, we
0: love a seven-minute workout. Is it effective?
1: Does well, it work? Well, this is the thing. I'm not sure yet.
0: I oh, only okay.
1: discovered it yesterday on the recommendation of um, of Liz, and um, who works at the Australian Writers' Centre. Now, this is 12 high-intensity body weight exercises. And the thing is it sounds so doable because it's 30 seconds per exercise and ten seconds off. Now you can do anything in thirty for thirty seconds, right?
0: Yeah, so absolutely. It, it seems
1: so achievable. And I, you know, people might go, "Oh, come on, why don't you go to a workout class or something like that?" Which you know, I do go to from time to time. But there are some days where uh, you know I can't make it. So seven, I'd say seven minutes is better than nothing, huh? And if you really want to do more, you could just do it twice. Do it for fourteen minutes or twenty-one minutes, you know, if, if you wanted oh. to extend it. So it's got everything. You know, it, it tells you, leads you step by step. It, it, it's And if you start with, say, if you choose a particular workout, jumping jacks, and then it will put the timer on. So you swipe it, the timer starts for your 30 seconds, and then it gives you your 10 seconds rest. Then you do wall sits for 30 seconds, and it'll time you, and then it will tell you in 10 seconds rest. And it goes on to do things like push-ups, crunches, steps onto a chair, squats triceps, planks, all those exciting things. Wow, but the all beauty the fun is stuff. all the fun stuff, but it's all done in seven minutes. That's the right. thing. And you know, I think it's good. Get your creative juices going. Because I wanted to buy this um, rebounder, you know, those things that you can just bounce on.
0: But oh, yeah. I looked really? it up on the internet You're not gonna do that.
1: Well yeah, and I looked up on the internet it cost seven hundred and fifty dollars, whereas oh. this app was free. So I <laughs> went with the app <laughs>
0: That's a considerable saving there. You could probably go and buy something new with that money that you just saved. Yeah,
1: you know, or maybe put it towards a deposit for something good. But <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, really, gosh, okay.
1: Hence the seven minute app, and no, no, I'll report in next week as to whether it's effective or not.
0: Well, I'm going to get it too because I I've been doing my thousand million steps a day, you know, as because I, I got my Fitbit working again after you know, and of course the only problem with it was that I hadn't changed the battery, but that's a whole ah. story. No, I knew I knew all I needed to do was change the battery. And do you think I could do it? No, I never got round to it. It was just like some kind of block in my head. Anyway, I did it. But I'm averaging between fourteen and seventeen thousand steps a day.
1: Oh my god! I know. That's I got, great.
0: Well, I got the boys home and the dog and the you know all the stuff. Um, but it just doesn't seem to make any difference to you know the size of my ass. <laughs> so me, I'm I'm on board for the seven minute workout too. Let's okay, make, let's, let's do make the it seven a seven. Let's make it the podcast workout. <laughs> Anyone who would like to join us should feel free. Tweet, tweet us. Yeah, tell tweet us. You're us. It. Yeah.
1: Okay, our working writers tip this week. Somebody asked um, how uh, how close a case study an interviewee can be to the writer for example they mean is it okay to interview your niece or your nephew or your brother-in-law or your best friend you know that sort Mm -hmm. of thing so what's your answer to that
0: okay so there's two parts to this yes one part of this is do you actually want to interview this person because they might have a great story but how are they going to react when your version of that great story, because it is going to be your version, because you're going to choose which quotes to use and you are going to put the angle on it. Mm. So when your version of this story appears in print, which, it has to be said, gives everybody's words a lot more weight and takes all the intonation out of them. So they look different and they somehow, you know, the the meaning can change without you even intending it to. Mm. Do you actually want to do this to with your best friend or whatever or someone close to you who may never want to speak to you again. <laughs> That's my first part mm-hmm. uh, and I really honestly would say to you, think really, really hard about this because it's really important. It is actually really important, mm. particularly with case studies. You know, you just want to be really sure that, that, mm. you're going to, that the story is going to be because you've got to remember too that what it looks like when you send it in may be slightly different to what it looks like when it appears in the paper mm. or wherever because of the edit and the, the way that the, the edit Edits change everything, or they can. So that's very important. That's my first bit. And then the second part, I guess, would be um, it depends on the story. Um, you know, yes. it's, it's – um, and also I would just clear it with an editor.
1: Absolutely, yes. Yeah,
0: okay. And what would you say to that? Have I would say,
1: further? well, definitely the bottom line is is that as long as the editor knows, then the editor can make a judgment as to whether it's okay. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. Do you really want to interview them Are they, or are they really the only person um, in the course. world who, who can illustrate your particular point? But I think also because I've written a lot of um, business-type stories, it depends on what the story is about. So, for example, if you want to interview your cousin about being diabetic and it's just comments about, you know, how she manages her diabetes, then she has nothing to gain financially from the publicity of the story. But if you're interviewing the your cousin and it's all about, you know, this new CrossFit phase and they actually own a CrossFit gym, then potentially there's a conflict of interest there and you should think about interviewing somebody else or at least tell the editor of of the relationship so that the the editor can make a decision as to whether there is a conflict of interest or not.
0: Absolutely. Like
1: I personally try to get case
0: studies as far away from me as possible. Really. (laughs) just <laughs> easier easy. well it is and then it just allows a it allows a level of objectivity for your story mm. that it's very very hard to get if you're very close to the person you're actually interviewing
1: yeah okay
0: yep. okay so glad, glad we discussed that
1: absolutely <laughs> yeah. so uh, I believe that um, some people can also benefit from your newsletter Al, on where you expand on things like this
0: I do I I have a newsletter uh, that comes out monthly and I Try to include in that every single month some exclusive little tip or tidbit that I've come across. But I've also got a new newsletter that I'm just starting to getting started and it's for um, fans of the Mapmaker Chronicles. And if you're interested in joining that particular newsletter, you can sign up online at the themapmakerchronicles.com um, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, if you're interested in my own newsletter, you'll find me at AlisonTate.com. So much Allison to be had.
1: So much Allison. <laughs> so much
0: <laughs> Allison. What about you, Valerie? Oh. You've got a newsletter. The writer sent a newsletter is amazing.
1: The, the Writer Center newsletter is great fun and we have a lot of fun putting it together and it's we love all the people who hit reply and tell us what they think and it's quite hilarious some of the things that they say, particularly the people who enter our competitions. So as we've mentioned, there's the competition to win a copy of Lisa Heidke's fantastic book, um, but we also have lots of other competitions every week, so it's certainly worth signing up. Uh, we'll put that link in the show notes as well and that probably comes to the end of our first podcast. For 2015, what Goodness are you? Me. What a jam-packed mm.
0: episode it's been!
1: Absolutely, but what are you up to this week?
0: Uh, so this week, well, I'm I'm having. A, I've just finished the edit on the Mapmaker 3 three. Um, Novel, So Mm. it's gone back to my publisher and I'm waiting. you know what I'm actually doing this week? I'm planning my year because I will be appearing at several literary festivals this year. Mm. I will also be going to um, quite a few schools to do um, author talks. And I have, yeah, so I've got quite a lot of stuff coming up and I actually have to to get myself a year planner. Yep. Never had one of those before. (laughs) And I'm going to need to stick it on my wall and some sort of block out dates, which makes me feel very grown up. Very. Mm, I've got a schedule.
1: Well, I'm doing something really, really different. Oh, what are you doing? I'm learning, believe it or not, I didn't think I would be ever doing this, but I'm learning all about murder. Oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why? Because we actually have an up-and-coming course for all the, you know, crime and thriller writers out there. Um, And we're probably going to call it Anatomy of a Murder because when you are writing about crime and when you're writing about a murder, which is often, you know, one of the key scenes in a a crime or thriller book, you need to be able to write about it with authenticity. And um, so the way this course is structured is how you write about each step of the murder process from you know premeditation to the crime scene to how the crime is committed itself to what the police do and what the what's realistic about the police and you know the forensic people and the blood splatter people and all that what their roles are because you can't get it wrong because if you get it wrong then your story immediately loses credibility so i'm learning more about murder than i thought possible
0: (laughs) i have to say that just on that note and given that we've got a bit of a twitter theme going this uh this week i follow an author on twitter called fiona quinn Mm -hmm. and her handle is fiona quinn books and she's a suspense writer Mm -hmm. and she tweets constantly information about things like Escaping handcuffs. Information <laughs> for writers: How to write a fight scene. Uh, duct tape one hundred and one for yeah. writers. You know what to do with it. Um, just so uh, post traumatic stress in your character. How to get your villain to confess. Honestly, it's one of the most interesting tweet streams available. If you're interested in writing that kind of work, definitely have a look at her Twitter stream. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's
1: quite bizarre and I must add that I'm not the one who's creating this course. I'm reviewing this course. It's being written <laughs> because, you know, I don't know what you do with duct tape. Um, it's being written by Candace Fox and she... Oh, she writes...
0: um Yeah, she's
1: great. Yeah, she won the Ned Kelly uh, th- for crime last year for her book Hades and her new book, which is just out, Is uh, called Eden, and um, there's a lot, a lot of exciting things in store which I can't quite. Um, reveal yet oh! until, unless, until Candace gives the go-ahead about what's That's going me. on with all of her writing um, oh. but she is you know, like Fiona I assume, immersed in that world and um, having conversations with her, I, you know I end up with my mind boggled I have to say
0: mm. Excellent, I so, yes. love a boggled mind
1: <laughs> On so, that note, we yes. should
0: probably say goodbye on now that, that we've note, boggled
1: Thank you for listening everybody We uh, hope you enjoy that first episode for the year happy new year to everyone and we will talk to you next week we will
0: bye